0: I'm Joanna Penn, and this is episode number 678 of the podcast, and it is Friday the 3rd of March 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to my friend and fantasy author extraordinaire, Lindsay Baroka. I was missing the Six Figure Authors podcast, and I know many of you miss it too. And Lindsay is such an introvert that we don't catch up very often. So this is basically an excuse for a catch-up chat about author business, and we have a bit of a giggle as well. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, the new CEO of YouTube posted his letter to creators online this week. Amongst many developments, he said, One area creators are increasingly interested in is podcasting. In fact, YouTube is now the second most popular destination for listening to podcasts, according to Edison. This year, we're making it even easier for creators and artists to showcase their podcasts on YouTube. New features in YouTube Studio make it easier to to publish podcasts and we're also bringing both audio and video first podcasts to the millions of people who use YouTube Music in the US with more regions to come. Later this year, RSS integration will offer podcasters another Way to upload shows to YouTube and give users more listening options. This is such good news. And it's so weird because it's kind of like what's old is new again. So funny that YouTube are saying creators are increasingly interested in podcasting. (laughs) I mean, I've been podcasting on YouTube and even audio only for four or five years now. And but every week, essentially, I create all the audio stuff and then I have to make a video. I put use the MP3. I mean, maybe many of you are actually listening to this on YouTube, but I have to turn my audio file into a video file, even though there is no video, and then put that onto YouTube. So RSS integration, it's like, yes, finally, but uh, audio only is a thing and it really does feel like what's old is new again and in fact Lindsay and I talk a bit about this and again it really proves that you can make a choice like I made a choice a few years back to really be audio first in terms of my marketing and not to try and get into short form video and all of that kind of thing because it's just not my thing and so I feel quite happy with that and that YouTube are now um, sort of reflecting on this and adding this as an option, which will bring more people to the podcast. So awesome. Also interesting this week, Seth Godin doing book marketing for his new book, The Song of Significance. So one of the ways to learn about book marketing, of course, is to look at what other people are doing. And I think this is interesting for nonfiction uh, authors, but actually this same technique could be used for fiction. Now, Seth has written many books over the last few decades, nonfiction business books, and he has a big audience for his blog. He has an email list. He knows all the right people. uh, And yet he. Still drives his book marketing. So, once again, even if you are famous and you have a big name publisher behind you, you still have to market your books. And it's like, this is one of the biggest nonfiction business authors in the world. But he is driving pre-orders. So this week he put up a blog post. I'll link to it in the show notes as ever. And it's basically offering a free live behind the scenes webinar. To register, you have to pre-order a book and then put the order number into a form. And then you'll be added to the webinar. The webinar will also have door prizes. And Seth also made a couple of videos talking about the book. His blog post says, it's possible that I've now written more best-selling business titles than any other author. Part of that is simply longevity and showing up, but most of it is your doing. The loyal readers of this blog, more than 20 years and still going and Seth blogs every day and has done for 20 years. Uh, the, The loyal readers of this blog are the foundation of my career as an author and I never forget it. So I just I wanted to share this but also to say thank you to to all of you and uh listeners over the years and my readers because this is completely true and I feel like uh, sometimes we reframe we have marketing round the wrong way which is we're sort of oh it takes time away from writing or whatever and we'd rather not do that but of course it's about the readers or the listeners like like you. And so there's this sort of push, pull, tug feeling of I want to reach out. I want to sell my books, but also I want to help people. I want to encourage people. And I feel like Seth is kind of talking about this too. But what's interesting is then he goes on to say, the realities of the supply chain mean that my publisher needs to make difficult decisions about paper, printing and logistics long before the book ships. Organising and talking with readers now helps make sure there are enough books in June. And hosting a conversation, Q&A in celebration seems like a good idea. So there's lots of reasons why he's doing this long pre-order. So the book is out in June. Uh, but like I said, I mean, Seth is one of those authors that I one-click order so of course I just bought it I'm, I don't need to go to the webinar but uh, over the years so I've been to events that Seth has organized through his blog I've done his courses he's definitely one of my mentors from afar I've read all his books I was part of his first Kickstarter more than a decade ago which was this enormous book it's the heaviest book ever and, uh, no, and I, I bought that when I had just gone so it must have been 2011 or 2012, definitely early days of when Kickstarter was going and it was such an oversized book. I had to pay like £50 or something in excess shipping charge or something and I was I could barely afford it at the time, <laughs> but I've still got that book. And so it's so funny. It's like Seth over the years has definitely been a yeah mentor from afar through his books and his blog, but it's just fascinating that he still does the majority of his book marketing. So yeah, if you think someone else is going to do it for you, think again. And that's kind of related to the topic that Orna Ross and I did on the Advanced Salon for the Alliance of Independent Authors podcast, the Ask Ally podcast. Uh, we did a, a show on how to make more money than the average author. And this was kind of spinning off the quite depressing surveys that you will have heard saying that most authors, most traditionally published authors earn sort of less than the minimum wage and all of this. And we were sick of the disempowering message of these surveys. And we, we want you to earn more money than the average author. And so, So we give lots of tips in that episode. Just search for uh, Ask Ally, A-L-L-I on your app or search for Orna Ross, O-R-N-A-R-O-S-S and that should come up. That was out, as this goes out, it was out a few days ago. And I mean, it's, we, our tips are nothing new. Like there is no secret. There's no secret secret. (laughs) This is not a get rich quick scheme. Uh, It really is that as with the interview with Lindsay coming up and some of the things we talk about, it's simple, but it's not easy. (laughs) It really is showing up year after year, as Seth said as well. Also, just a reminder that the Alliance for Independent Authors is doing an income survey to try and shed more light on independent author incomes. The survey is aimed at self-published authors who spend more than 50% of their time on writing and publishing. It is pretty short, so you can do it quickly. And uh, they really need some more data in this area. Go to self-publishingadvice.org forward slash survey 23. And uh, hopefully you'll still have time to do that. It is really quick once you've got your numbers for last year. Plus, you know I can't go a week without mentioning AI. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, the Authors Guild has updated their model contract with a new clause. So this is a clause that they would expect to be in a publishing contract. I think it would be very interesting whether this does get adopted. Of course, something in a model contract is not necessarily in a real contract. But the clause is no generative AI training use. So it is uh, an expressly, uh, well, I'll read it. It says, the author expressly prohibits the publisher from using the work in any manner for purposes of training artificial intelligence technologies to generate text including without limitation technologies that are capable of generating works in the same style or genre as the work. The author reserves all rights to license uses of the work for generative AI training and the development of machine learning language models. Publisher will use best efforts to include a limitation in any sub-license of the work prohibiting the use of the work for training and developing generative AI technologies. So that's on the authorsguild.org links in the show notes. Now, this is interesting because, as ever, I'm always way early, but I did propose a sub license for training data in my 2020 book, Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain and Virtual Worlds. So I mean, basically, this clause says the author reserves rights to license uses of the work for generative AI training. This is what I would like. And I've mentioned it before, like I would love to get together with a whole load of indie thriller writers and say, look, you can license our work for training your model, fine tuning the model in on this kind of thriller. And I think that this is another revenue stream for people. I would be very happy to license my copyright work for that. Um, Of course, publishers have no need to add that clause. And in fact, they have many years of contracts without that clause and if you've assigned a lot more of copyright to a publisher then they probably do have the right I mean it's it's difficult to know what is more interesting is whether there will be some kind of addendum that will just be passed around as there was for ebooks or digital rights back in the day over a decade ago probably 20 years ago now <laughs> so difficult how old we are but um, you know 15 to 20 years ago authors were sent an addendum essentially saying oh you know we've got all your print rights but how about you uh, just give us your digital rights we don't really know what this is but if you give it to us we'll make some money of course it it was a lot more official than that. But many people just signed it as it was unclear what those rights might turn into in the next decade. J.K. Rowling famously did not sign it, hence why she has a multi-billion dollar business with Pottermore. So if you are traditionally published, don't just sign an addendum without thinking about the ramifications for the next decade. This is day one, as ever, for generative AI. So it's going to be very interesting where this goes. So, in my personal update, uh, I finally, I say finally, I put the photos up from my Washington DC long weekend on books and travel as a blog post. So I'll link to it in the show notes or just go to booksandtravel.page and the Washington DC trip is there. All my photos, it was absolutely freezing, but the sky was very blue. So I got some really beautiful pictures of architecture. I love architecture and the Library of Congress and some of those other things. feels like ages ago already because the year is just speeding along. Uh, Other things, I was also on the Right Now with Scrivener podcast talking about how I use Scrivener in writing and also tips on the author business. You can find that. uh, Just search Scrivener on your podcast app or Right Now or links in the show notes. I also had my trip to Peterborough this week to see the Book Vault printing plant and to sign all my hardbacks. I love factories and machines. I just love seeing all these things working. It's like, that's so cool. It's just brilliant. I also signed 250 books and they're all in the post and I, many of you, thank you so much, have started telling me it's arrived. You can see pictures of the signing on Facebook and Instagram at JF author. It was quite an epic road trip. I don't usually drive so far, but well worth doing. And thanks so much to the book vault guys, um, Alex and Curtis, who just helped me out with that. And that was brilliant. If you did get a signed book, (laughs) there's a sticker. (laughs) It's a sticker on the front page, but the actual signature is on the title page. And I do have a bit of a (laughs) scrawl. Someone messaged me and said, oh, I, I can't see your signature. And I'm like, yeah, it's not on the same page as the sticker. <laughs> I just have the writing setting course left to finish and I have be, I've prepared all the slides I've set up the teachable pages and everything and I'll be recording it this week my neighbor has been doing their bathroom so it's been too noisy to record but I would that will be for sale uh, in the ne- well, it will go out to the Kickstarter backers but then it will also be for sale at the CreativePen.com forward slash learn probably by the middle of March so um, that will go out then it's a craft sort of like a writing craft workshop. Uh, course. I also have consulting sessions from the Kickstarter spread out over the next year. But basically, I'm almost done. Well, I say almost done. I'm almost done with the first bit. (laughs) I mean, I walked the Camino in September, but I mean, I've been writing this book for years. But I finished it in November. And then, of course, the Kickstarter. So it's been an epic project. And I'm using a lot of finishing energy to get it done. But, of course, it's not even published on the rest of the stores. And my finishing energy needs to include actually publishing it elsewhere and also launching it kind of a second time around once it's available everywhere else. So making the most of an asset for sure. And, of course, I will share lessons learned once I finish (laughs) finished. Also, with Kickstarter, I have tried so hard to get hold of everyone, but there are three people I cannot get hold of. So I'm not going to mention their full names, but I am going to mention their first name and their initial. If you are Karen B, Shannon M, or Bradley C, if that is you and you supported by Kickstarter, please, please email me, Joanna at thecreativepen.com. Basically, some of these Kickstarter emails don't go through. And I've tried emailing from my accounts, various accounts. I've tried social media. I mean, it's just hilarious. But uh, I realise that some people just kind of forget that they spent some money. But I really want my little, my need to finish things says I must, 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 get these books to these people. (laughs) So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. On Pierre's interview on YouTube, the atheist Paladin says, Good podcast. I would always go wide. I refuse to be put on the whims of the Almighty's on. I have seen too many authors have bad days for no fault of their own. Yes, um, it is nice to take back control of at least some of our uh, publishing. And Solmi Pedramon sent me a tweet, sent a picture on the way home at the supermarket saying, on my way home from work in the trusty 95 Honda Civic, listening to an old episode stopping at rice markets to pick up some dinner, just a day, but a nice one. And I love that because I really appreciate being in your car or on your podcast podcast app as you do your chores. I mean, that's when I listen to podcasts. It really is general when I'm doing cooking or cleaning or walking places so I love being part of your normal life so please do send me a picture of where you're listening even if it's completely normal uh, you can tweet me at the creative pen send me pictures uh, email me joanna at the creative leave a comment on the blog or the youtube channel I love to hear from you it makes this more of a conversation so today's show is sponsored by find away voices and I'll play a word from them in a minute. On a personal note, I use Findaway Voices for my audiobooks. And in fact, Pilgrimage is sitting there waiting to be published right now. It's a great platform for finding a narrator or uploading your finished files and publishing them out to over 40 stores. Plus, they have promotional options, including Chirp, Apple, Barnes & Noble Audio, Spotify and more. So I'll play their ad in a minute. But this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time is sponsored by my patrons, especially the extra stuff on AI and futurist topics. Thanks to all those patrons who've supported the show for years and months. You're amazing. It demonstrates you find the show useful and want it to continue. Now, I always have a drop off at the end of the month and then wonderfully, new patrons arrive. So thanks to new patrons this week, Susan, Michael Segura, Ella D. Tellier and W Bradford Swift. If you support the show on Patreon, you get the extra monthly Q&A. And also I have um, money off my courses and books and all of that kind of thing and share behind the scenes info. You can support the show with just a few dollars or uh, euros or whatever your currency is they do most currencies and you will get that extra monthly Q&A audio and the backlist you can support the show at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n ncom forward slash the creative pen right here's a word from Find Way voices and then we'll get into the interview he's listening she's listening they're all searching for their next listen
1: is your audiobook out there If not, what's holding you back? After this, it won't be audiobook creation tools. Introducing Findaway Voices Marketplace, the audiobook creation platform built for a world booming with audiobooks. Voices Marketplace gives you a searchable and trusted space to connect with narrators, free production and business tools, and the power to bring your audiobooks to market quickly. We've heard everything you have asked and use that to build an audiobook creation platform for you. Plus, we give you access to the world's largest audiobook distribution network, reaching listeners through more than 40 retail and library partners. No exclusivity. You keep your rights. This is your audiobook creation platform. Ready to get started? Make it on Marketplace.
0: Lindsay Barocca is the author of over 100 books across epic fantasy, urban fantasy, science fiction, fantasy romance, and more. So welcome back to the show, Lindsay.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a couple of years, so we'll see what's going on.
0: Yeah. And it's so exciting to talk to you because lots of people miss you and they miss the Six Figure Authors podcast. I do. I used to listen to that show every week and whatever it was. And we have not heard your news for a while. So you did the last main episode of Six Figure Authors in April 2022 and did a surprise extra in October 2022. But give us an update. Like, What does your book business look like now? And what have you been writing in the last year?
1: I feel a little bad about that October episode because it was super doom and gloom. Where no, i we're probably gonna, It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> we're probably going to do another one, just pop in to update. But for my book business, I haven't changed a lot. I've slowed down a little bit, which it may not look like from the outside because the series I'm working on, is they're shorter, like 80, 90,000 words, which... Compared to some of my epic fantasy and stuff, that's short. So I'm writing fewer words a day. I used to shoot for like seven to ten thousand, and now I'm just like, ah, screw that. <laughs> Maybe five, 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 seven. But because they're shorter books, I've still been publishing as much. I I don't know if that will continue. And I, I haven't made a lot of changes. I'm still launching new stuff into Kindle Unlimited. Things are still working pretty well for me, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on what's going on. You know, you were talking about selling direct and the people that are just doing other things and Kickstarters, and I do have the Patreon. So I'm always ready, like, if I have to pivot, I want to be prepared. And I might do a Kickstarter and try some stuff regardless. But it's a lot of work, as I think you've been talking about the Kickstarter you did. And until you actually know how much you're going to make from it, it's a bit of a question mark. Like, do I actually, like, if I'm not going to make more than I make in a month from Amazon... I really want to put all this extra work above and beyond what I usually do. So that's why I haven't done it yet. But I I am excited about all the things that people are doing now and all the ways you can make money from your books. It's pretty fun to watch all the various ways
0: people succeed and contemplate trying some things myself. Mm, Well, just on the Kickstarter, I mean, (laughs) your social media posts are often just interesting things with dragons on them, right? Like (laughs) lamps and random stuff with dragons. And if you did a Kickstarter, you would have to do merchandise of some kind, (laughs) because everyone will want some kind of dragon thing. It's true. And I don't really have a go-to person
1: for creating things like that for art and other than cover designs and such. So that's extra work finding that. And I think people want a hardback, like a signed hardback edition, which I'd be open to, but again, I haven't done it yet. so. It's just, all you know, everything would be like the first time and be the hardest. And I'm sure you could become like a Chris and Dean there doing their monthly Kickstarter. They're probably like, yeah, it's like the way I am releasing on Amazon. Oh, it's no big deal. It's just another series. So I, I think it's just that first time that's got me hesitating a little bit because I know it will be a learning curve and work. And I, I did do a Kickstarter like 10 years ago. So I do have some experience with it. But now I actually have fans. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a few back then. Like it worked out. It, it was good. Oh, it what was did you funny. make?
0: Do you remember? What did you make? I that? was
1: just funding my audiobooks. Yeah, because early on, it costs quite a bit to have those done. And in those days, I was doing like free patio books. And gosh, I can't even remember. Was ACX a thing? I feel like it might have been, but that was the only game in town. So audiobooks weren't profitable for me, but people wanted them. So I was funding a couple of those. And I gave away the audiobooks but I also gave away signed paperbacks of the series and those were very popular. So I had to sign all this stuff and everybody wanted, I like, got, uh, I want a custom message from one of the characters. Mm. And I'm like, of course, I'm like, of course, of course. So that was a lot of work. And I found out how much international shipping was the hard way. Like there weren't <laughs> as many calculators and stuff to warn you back then that it was going to be $50 to ship a couple books to Australia. So I totally, I ended up doing okay, but it was definitely a lot of work.
0: Yeah, well, as we're recording this, I'm going to the printer next week, my books are printing right now. But things have definitely changed in terms of the technology. But I'm kind of keeping this list at the moment of the new jobs that we need virtual assistance for. And I think running a Kickstarter campaign for authors, maybe Monica and Russell in their group, they have people who are going to do this, but you would have a massive Kickstarter now and you could actually hire someone to run it. And I actually think that type of job is going to be an emergent one in the future, because it's like a project manager role, really. There's so much to organize. And for people who actually can drive the back end of Kickstarter and the backer kit and all that, I think that's a real skill. I mean, would you hire someone like that if you were going to do one? I mean, you wouldn't do it all yourself.
1: It's funny because I've actually asked someone and she said yes. <laughs> so I, I won't out her on this show because I don't know if she wants to be like, oh, that's going to be my new job. Everybody's going to want me to run one because I think they've done a couple now. So uh, she was this. So I am keeping that in mind. Uh, I agree. It's uh, mm. maybe you do it yourself the first time or with guidance so you kind of learn everything. But yeah, I could definitely see that you just then you make a list, right? Here's what I need done and hand it off to someone. And I I think there are more jobs that are going to be available for people that are willing to, you know, there's already lots of author assistance editing cover art. And but we are seeing more opportunities for people that maybe don't, you know, just like you don't want to manage your ads. (laughs) Maybe you don't want to manage your Kickstarter. And it, it does make sense for anyone that's thinks they're going to make enough that if maybe you've already got an established fan base and you're doing a new installment in a series that you know people will say yes because they already like it. In that Mm. case, you might know you're going to make enough to pay someone and make it worth their time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting what changes. I feel like when we both went full-time, both of us, it was 2011, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it might have been 2012 for me by the time I was like, oh, I'm actually making more than the old the, day the, job. It was the I, I kind of had a time. year, yeah, where I was sort of checked out of <laughs> what I was doing before and really focused on writing.
0: So yeah. A- I mean, and back then, there just wasn't the ecosystem. There wasn't the technology that we have now. Like you said, I mean, Kickstarter was around back then, but it wasn't a place really for publishing and authors, whereas that's definitely really changed. Is there anything else that you're looking at now that you think okay, maybe this is something more interesting. This is a way that I could do. Or, I mean, the thing is, your business is, is running so well, like you said. When do you think you might just go, right, I need to pivot? Or is, is it when the income drops? Right. When Amazon,
1: they've been cutting quarters in this supposed recession we're having or going to have. <laughs> Amazon's been laying people off and cutting out some things. So I'm just watching I'm like, well, let's see if they cut on KU or change the royalty rate or something. Hopefully not. But I, I always try to think, well, what would I do if that happened? I think I'll try something regardless of whether that happens eventually. Just... um you know, it's kind of fun to like, you go through different phases where you're like, oh, I'm just tired. I can't do anything. Like I can't handle Mm -hmm. anything else. And other times where you have more energy and it sounds fun. I am also interested like selling direct. I know is something you're doing a lot of, and -hmm. there's so many more tools now to make it easy. I think you have a Shopify store like we didn't have. Mm -hmm. I actually sold direct an early release of a, one of my Emperor's Edge books, my first series. I think it was like, between book five and six or something, there was a cliffhanger and people really wanted the next one. So I, for $10, you could buy on my site for one weekend, you'd get the manuscript. The un, I mean, I don't think it had been edited yet. And then you would also get the ebook when it released. And I had to do this with PayPal and I was, and then I would, there was no book funnel. So mm. I had to email them the documents and I had to do it. Like when I saw the money come in, I remember for whatever reason, I was at the U S open, the tennis thing in New York that when I was doing this, because why wouldn't you uh, be on vacation while you're trying to do something like this? And so I'm sitting there in the seats watching Roger Federer. Oh, a new order came in. I have to email the eBooks to this person and then hope they know how to side load it. So that's come a long way. So I'm a little more interested now in selling direct that there are a lot more tools for that.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. I I was at Superstars in Colorado with Damon Courtney, and I introduced him to someone who'd never heard of Bookfunnel, and I was like, "Bookfunnel changed our lives. We used to have to direct people to download this Mobi file and then to teach them how to sideload it. No one even uses the phrase sideload anymore. We're so old.
1: <laughs> I know. I don't even know how to do it anymore. Like, I my phone just opens up whatever, or I think most people's phones are like that now. So
0: yeah, and, 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 and then the Bookfunnel the has their support. App. I mean, yeah. remember the customer support is like, well, I don't know how to get this on my Samsung granny tablet. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'll just give you your money back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much as like, may- I think I had like bookmarked a forum post from like smart. E reader, what are those kind of things? And I just
0: directed people, maybe this will help you because I don't know anything about your device. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thank you, Damon from BookFunnel. And I did say to Damon, it's about time you came back on the show and explain because there's so many things now that Book Funnel does. And again, oh, this is the other thing with you and I, right? So we've been doing this a long time. We both have our processes and there are things we might not have revisited for a long time. So for me, one of the things I'm really questioning at the moment is social media. I think we even met on Twitter back in the day. And now it seems that Twitter is just spiraling the drain. And I don't necessarily want to replace it. But I'm, I find myself going more into Facebook, for example, or people going into LinkedIn, which is kind of scary. So other things that you're questioning? I mean, is social media something you're questioning?
1: Well, I've actually never successfully sold books on Twitter. so I don't really (laughs) care. Everybody was signing off like, oh, I'm going to Mastodon. I'm like, have fun. I'll see you later. I probably just will never leave Twitter or not check it as much maybe. But I I didn't feel like, oh, I got to go replace this and find some way to sell books again. Facebook, on the other hand, has been a good way to sell books for me. It's number two after my newsletter when I post the links there. And I think it's just that I have that demographic that's sort of eh, mid-30s and up that's more on Facebook. A lot of my characters are that age, so it makes sense. So that one works well for me. And I, I, I like that and I shouldn't like it maybe, but they separated your profile, like your book profile page from your personal account. So I never have to log on to my personal account anymore, and I don't. <laughs> and then, and I will once in a while, and there's a bunch of messages. I'm like, guys, I haven't posted on here since 2019. Why are you sending me messages this way? I, I actually answer emails better than this thing. But yeah, I am still quite active on the Facebook page. I, you know, I'm happy that everybody that's done well with TikTok is... That's awesome. Like, I was, I've been saying for years, like, just wait, a new thing will come and mm-hmm. like a new tactic, and you can get in early and use it. And people have. And, and I don't know what the next thing will be, but I, it's not really for me. I I even gave it a shot. I hired a VA because I, it was very easy to hand that to someone because I didn't care. I didn't even have an account on there at the time. And nothing happened. She did it for like five months, book flips and things. <laughs> it wasn't surprising to me because I think the people who I see on there are on there with their faces. Mm-hmm. And, being funny and doing little bits and showing off their books. And I I see why it works for them. If some of these, the book flip thing where they're just showing quotes is working for somebody else too. Great. Awesome. But I don't feel compelled to jump on every new thing. What I'm doing, like the core fundamental stuff doesn't ever seem to change. Like maybe you try new things as they come along. And if something comes along that suits you, yay. I would be happy to like the next introvert <laughs> social media <laughs> thing. Yeah. I think that's an oxymoron. I'll be all over that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a, well, okay. So you said the core fundamental things there. So just tell people what are those core fundamentals for you?
1: So releasing series as a foundation, I, every now and then I divert and I want do one-offs or, or something that's not quite the same. And I, Sometimes it works fabulously and launches a new series. Sometimes it doesn't work. But so having the series that I I build with like an arc, and I know this doesn't work in every genre. Romances have to have a new couple in each one. So they have to like make their town or something, you know, really create a setting that brings in the cohesiveness and gets people to want to stay in that setting. But it follows an arc. And in, in my case, I often do like the slow burn romance that, over the series. And there's like maybe a mystery of something that's going on around in the background. So something that keeps people wanting to read book after book until it's complete. So I have that at the core. And then the marketing all no matter what I do, no matter what tactics change, I'm always trying to get people to try book one. So there's lots, of, and I often make book one free. And so I've got the newsletter, and I, I've never gone into Building a newsletter solely on throwing stuff out there and trying to get people to sign up in order to try something, which I know people have, works fabulous for them and awesome. But I've always been like, here's the sign up at the end of the book. Like, at the end of the book, if you want the free prequel, or if you want the other POV like here's the hero romantic lead that we never get to see the his, in his head in the main series if you want some scenes from his POV sign up for the newsletter and that works very well. And I can tell which ones are super effective of those because people will email me because they couldn't get it. You know, There's always <laughs> like, the technology is still not perfect, right? A lot of stuff goes to people's spam folders and things. They're like, oh, I need this. Uh, so I know oh, that one was good because people care that they signed up for the newsletter and it never came. So hmm. that's at the core. Uh, always trying to, you know, get more fans onto the newsletter. I'm not as good about it I used to do something for every series. And now now when you sign up, you get like 10 things. But I figure some of that's good because it can get them interested in the series they haven't tried yet. But so that's always at the core, whether I'm spending money advertising book one or whether it's just a free, perma-free, with all my wide series that are in all the bookstores, I've got a book one free if it's five books or more. And those, since I've been releasing more into KU, those haven't. They have fallen off, but they still are selling some. Even though I may forget for a long time to try to get a bookbub, or I don't get the bookbubs as much anymore. I have to say mm-hmm. my career is no, not dependent on bookbub in any way anymore. And it's not that I don't like them; they just don't like me as much anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, things have obviously changed. I found a blog post about the launch of my first novel back when it was called Pentecost in 2011. If people are interested, it's at thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel. And it's like there's all these posts about writing this novel and stuff. And it, that book launched at 340 in the whole Amazon.com store. This is before paid ads, this is before all of this stuff, right? And I <laughs> I was laughing going, gosh, how much effort does it take to launch a book into under 500 on the Amazon.com store now? I mean, it's just a completely different world, isn't it? Well, it's funny because
1: a lot of people are not happy that they have. it's pay to play, right? You have to advertise probably to get any visibility on Amazon. And I'm like, well, when I started... There was no way to get visibility on Amazon either because there was no way to advertise. And I did not have that experience. My books went out there and nobody bought them. And (laughs) it wasn't until book three, like I managed to get a few sales. I still remember, thank you to the guy that runs the fantasy book critic for reviewing one of my books. And I I remember I got a bunch of sales on Smashwords from that. And it was like, yay. (laughs) But it wasn't until I started putting stuff out for free uh sh- first a short story and later I made book 1 3 when book 3 came out that finally people started finding stuff because I will say at least when I got started the free list on Amazon was easier to find and there was no Kindle unlimited so people that were budget conscious were definitely skimming through the free list to look for books mm. so the things change you know but ha- having that f- series and at least for me for non f- or for fiction is kind of core, and then you can figure out each year. There's some new way, right? That you're yeah, going to try to sell that first book. But having the newsletter continuing to build the fan base, of course, is the most reliable thing because uh, those are all these people that are going to go out and buy your new book and support yeah. you. And thank, th- I'm thankful for them big time. <laughs> people, <'cause laughs> I have kind of a quirky sense of humor. It's not for everyone, but the people that is for. I, you know, I've had a lot of them say like, oh, you're my favorite author. I'm reading some other author now, but only because I'm waiting for your next book. So it, it's good. It's hard to find your tribe, but over time, it's kind of cumulative. The efforts do pay off over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is absolutely that. Now, before you mentioned phases of our careers and when we get bored with something we try something new so for example a few years back you created a new pen name which you then outage like it's not a secret pen name anymore it was at the beginning right and you write more the steamy romance under that name looking back now are you happy that you put that under another name or has it just become more hassle than it's worth as in you set up second newsletter you set up all that other stuff for another name and then eventually. So what are the pros and cons, I guess? What do you advise people now? I think it was worth it
1: at the time. Like it was uh it was part experiment too. I wanted to see like this was probably the end of 2014. Like, can you still start from scratch and succeed? You know, because <laughs> there were a lot of people <laughs> saying you couldn't in 2014. And now people are getting started, like, oh, I wish it was 2014. But so I don't regret it, but I actually probably will. I keep thinking about this. I need to get the covers redone and I'll probably do Ruby Lionstrake. That was the name. And Lindsay Baroker and put them on my author page too, and so oh, people like, will co Yeah, people will realize that okay, these are something different. But they'll find them because I haven't done a new book for Ruby in probably like four years, so sales are like way falling off. Of course, every now and then I mention, oh, by the way, I have these other books, and people are like you have a pen name, and they'll go out and buy them. But if they can find them by searching me on Amazon, my regular name, I think you know because I still. I thought they were good stories, most of them. There might have been a couple. (laughs) You know, you get experimental. Like, I have so much respect for romance authors that can keep writing the same, basically the same formula in that he and she get together, and they have the same kind of sex, and you know, it's like the same. Or, in many or ways. I mean,
0: some people do she and she, or he and he, yeah, or yeah, a whole yeah. tribe,
1: or the harem. But well, you have to do whatever you start doing. You have to do that thing, or your readers are like, "I'm not interested in that," and it flops. So, whatever <laughs> you get, kind of locked in with romance. I feel like, whereas maybe some genres are a little more accepting of straying a little bit from exactly what they thought they signed up for, but. Yeah, I, I I was like, oh, let's do a threesome in this book. Why wouldn't you? And my readers were like, what? Oh, we don't want that. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was like the least well-rated. Of the oh, how books. interesting. <laughs> so I, I just I I did it. I did a couple of series with them, and then I was ready to go back to my main stuff. The one of the reasons I had started it was because I felt like I might be publishing too often. <laughs> under <laughs> my regular name, because I'd started writing more quickly at that point. So that was another one of the reasons that, the, well, I'll alternate. I'll do the pen name and then my regular name. But yeah, at this point, I'm like, ah, nobody cares. They just catch up when they catch up. Or some of them read a book a day and they are read it. And like, when's the next one coming out? So nobody mm-hmm. seems to care as much. There was also a lot of uh, negative, like <laughs> people talking about, oh, if you write fast, you must be just throwing out crap. So Hmm. that might have been in the back of my head too like oh i shouldn't do more than a book every three or four months three, four, but are, are you over that now do you think yeah i just do whatever at this point yeah I think, you, I think part of it is you get to a stage in your career and also in your life where eh, you stop caring as much people are yeah. always, you're always going to have your detractors right and i just delete those emails these days i used to feel You had to be really good and a good customer service person and write back some polite, well, thank you for sharing your opinion. I will take this into consideration. And I'm like, delete. (laughs) I don't have time. I just don't have the bandwidth that I want to spend on responding to the critics.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, I'm glad you said that. And people listening, I hope you can hear that we've been doing this for a while now. And I, I still have difficult days. Like today I had a bit of a difficult day. I got a whole load of very negative comments on my blog. And my first response was, I I was like, no, you're wrong. I want to argue with you. And then I was like, no, it's my blog. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs>
1: I know there's a lot of blogs but they get they start to get more popular and all of a sudden well not so much today because who, who blogs anymore right well, but they um, were just show notes
0: show notes of the yeah yeah they class. would
1: just turn the comments off and you're like well because mm. I got tired of dealing with it so
0: you can tell yeah. you
1: get more popular and you get like you get 90 probably 90 95 percent great feedback love the books mm. you know and then there's those couple
0: and you only remember the difficult ones, or at least I, I, and I know, and I went for a walk. I was like, look, you think of all the people who are lovely and want this content or whatever, this book or whatever. And it, but it's the negative ones that are difficult to get out of your head. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I say things change, but are there any sort of things that you feel you haven't achieved? Like you've sold tons of books, you've made lots of cash. I mean, are there things that you still want to achieve as an author? I will probably keep
1: doing the same things, but I I would still enjoy like if somebody came and said like, hey, we'd like to do a movie or a Netflix series or something. And I know it would be horrible because they're never like true to the books. And all my fans would be like, oh, they're awful. The book was better. But I would enjoy like, that would be kind of neat to have somebody make something. But I think sort of fantasy and sci-fi are really expensive to make. So I don't Mm. know what the odds are. Every now and then you hear somebody got picked up. But and then will the movie ever get made? That's really rare, right? They'll option it, but not make it. So that would be fun. It's, but it's not something that I can control. I'm not going to go knocking on doors and try to pitch my novel or
0: hire someone to. That's not me. I'm
1: very much, if they want it, they'll come to me and we'll talk.
0: Yeah. And I love this about you. I often use you as an example of a relaxed author who mainly focuses on writing. I mean, that has been, your main marketing is like you said, releasing a series. And for you, that's like an eight book series of over 120,000 words each or something. I mean, it's not like one of my series when they're like 60,000 words. So that that's kind of one of the thing, the main things you've done but you also said that you are writing less now 5000 to 7000 words per day as opposed to over sort of 10000 but tell us how do you write what is your writing process and has that changed
1: well it's not very romantic or what you imagine with writers but i feel like i'm kind of a factory i write my rough draft in maybe 2 or 3 weeks do an editing pass, send it off to my beta readers, and then I start working on the next thing while they have it. And they'll send it back and I do some tweaks and usually another quick editing pass and send it to my editor and back to the other thing. And by the time it's ready to go, eventually out to my typo hunters and Patreon and eventually out to Amazon uh, for the exclusive stuff, I'm usually sending the next book off to the beta readers. So I just kind of keep cycling through and maybe I take a few days off between projects here and there. But it just, I just keep things rolling along and book the cover artists and editor well in advance so that, and I don't always know what they're going to get. Like the editor's like, I wonder what I'm getting this summer. <laughs> oh, I'll get something I keep <laughs> working. So they're very nice to be flexible with that stuff. But yeah, that's, and, and as far as like ideas and sort of the process, this is one of the reasons I'm still writing a lot is I still have like three or four ideas ahead that I want to get to. Like when I finish this series, I want to do this and this, and and then I'm going to do sci-fi. And so that's why I haven't really slowed down that much. And I figure someday, maybe I don't know that I'll ever run out of ideas. I feel like some people are just like that. Like every time I start reading, I try to mostly read other people's fiction In between my projects, because otherwise I start, like, it gives me ideas. I'm just Mm. reading their story and, like, oh, yeah, I would do that, but I would do it this way. And then I'm like, I should do that. Of course, I should write one like that. It's like, you're still working on another series. Stop. You're not going to jump off right now and start that. So I listen to nonfiction anytime, but Mm. for some reason, fiction, I just start reading somebody's book and I'm off on, oh, new, this is what I want to do. So I have to be careful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. but do you still just sit down and type? Is that how you write or do you dictate or what do you do? I do type. I've never gotten into
1: the dictation. I've tried it hiking, but my <laughs> dogs have always been like, they're, they've always had like hunting breeds. I don't hunt, but they're that breed. And so they're always off. Like I have to pay attention to them when I'm out there. So and then there's so many errors when I've tried it that I'm like, what is this? When I try to go back and do it. And I feel like I could do it. I think you just talked about this somewhere. You can do it on the nonfiction more easily mm, than on the fiction.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: But I, I actually type pretty quickly. So I'm not sure even if I got good at it. And then your voice gets tired. Like <laughs> I go to a conference or something and I'm dying after because I never have to talk. <laughs> you never speak to as, anyone. An introvert, as an introvert, <laughs> like, you know. Now and then you go out into the world and speak with people, but not like these long extended things. So you end up having to kind of train your voice to be able to handle that much too. So after so many years, (laughs) (laughs) well, just to narrate a book into your device, but yeah, after so many years that there's not a lot of, um, like, I don't really think about the typings of the words. I'm just kind of seeing the story playing out in my head. And it makes for some interesting typos and stuff later because the brain just, I I tend to revert back to like the words I learned when I was younger. They're really drilled in there. And so if I learn something incorrectly, like which shear to use, whether it's S-H-E-E-R, S-H-E-A-R. Yeah. My brain doesn't know that when I'm just writing the script for the story playing in my head. So I get some a lot of errors. Thank goodness for my editors and beta readers. And every now and then they get some entertainment when I to not find the correct word or cannot remember. You know, Ricochet has
0: two T's or is it one T? See, I can't even remember. Uh, Yeah, and who cares? Because we have editors and we have pro-writing aid and we have all of that. Do you have like a full-time editor and a full-time cover designer?
1: Well, I think I give them enough work to... (laughs) Actually, it's my audiobook narrator. I've joked like I paid her enough last year she could go buy a new car. I mean, I know she pays her producer and stuff out of that too. Just like us, we have expenses beyond just the top line income we get. Mm. Um, but I have people that I've been working with so long that they usually just make a slot for me every month, like my editor does. They're not full time with
0: me, but they're they actually I definitely keep them busy for sure. And then just on health, I want to mention health because you said you're a factory, but <laughs> Um, Is that not healthy, Joanna? (laughs) It doesn't doesn't sound too healthy, Lindsay. How do you keep your factory self healthy? Well, I actually don't spend
1: like that. Five to seven thousand words is about three hours of work of solid. You know, you know, as a writer, you wander off often, Mm. but. So I'm not really working more than a normal day anymore. Like I used to early on, because I was doing the writing and the day job and you're learning everything and doing everything you can with marketing because you just nothing's working <laughs> in the beginning. You're just like, ah, how do I make this work? How do I sell books? Now it's more of a system. So I don't have to spend much time like on the marketing side anymore. So, and the writing is the thing I enjoy the most. So it's, it's less onerous. Like I actually get upset on days when like I have a couple appointments or something and I was like oh I can't write or it's going to be all broken up so it's just no good <laughs> I'm just mm. not going to write that day I love my days where I just don't have anything else to do I can just have my laptop and get cozy with a dog under the blankets and work from an unergonomic position on the couch <laughs> <laughs> but you do um, walk
0: with your dog uh, dog a dogs. Lot. like mm. most
1: of my health stuff is Like from exercise, like right now, my it bands are all my, it's like, oh, stop walking. And the it bands bad because I was running and walking so much, I had plantar fasciitis, so oh. I got a peloton and started riding. And like, well, now I get the it band thing from
0: you need a foam roller, you need to I have pain, one, pain. I have yeah. all the things I do, all mm.
1: the trigger point and rolling, and now you know, working on stuff,
0: but yeah, I, I do.
1: Take breaks, but I find that a lot of times on the days where I'm trying to take off, I'm just like, oh, this stuff sucks. I'd rather be writing. <laughs> like, because usually you end up doing all your errands and things on your supposed off day. But uh, yeah, I, I could be better about taking vacations, though. Yeah. But I and- always end up thinking about stuff while I'm, like I said, while I start, I start relaxing and reading somebody else's book. And pretty soon I've got my phone out and I'm taking notes with ideas. So I, I'm not the best at. Like I do try to have a good diet and exercise every day and make sure I'm not like sitting for hours and hours or anything like that. But I'm probably not the best model of work-life balance. But mm. you have to decide that. People have to decide that. Are you going to have work-life balance? Or are you going to be like successful? Like it's really rare for somebody that's really chill and just working a little bit when they feel motivated to also be successful and reach their financial goals. Like it's we don't want to believe that like especially some generations don't want to believe that but you have to pick like which do you want you know Mm. Uh, it's very rare for somebody to like really get both
0: yeah I think that that is a good tip and I mean I certainly would have worked harder since I left my day job (laughs) well that's
1: just it I used to work like three hours a day when I was doing blogging and writing content and made money from Amazon ad or not Amazon, but Amazon affiliate programs and other affiliate programs and Google AdSense ads. And I used to work a lot less and play a lot more World of Warcraft.
0: <laughs> and you gave Everquest. that up, didn't
1: you? You gave I up I had gaming. to give it up. Mm. I was too addicted. So I had to give it up to start finishing books, but I actually used to work less, but I was less happy because I was writing about mm. crap I didn't care that much about. Like I, I was able to work from home, so that was cool. But it wasn't fulfilling writing. Like I really enjoyed that I can tell stories for a living now. But mm-hmm. that's the trap. Once you're doing what you love, <laughs> you never stop working. You want to just keep doing it. And even I talk about like retiring. I really just say this is my goal to where I'll consider I'm completely financially independent, and then I don't care about <laughs> book sales and stuff. But I wouldn't stop writing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like what else would you do that? It's fun for you and it helps other people. Like you get emails from people that are like, I'm having a really hard time. I just got through chemotherapy or lost somebody and your books really, I really needed the laughs. So you feel like, oh, I'm actually (laughs) not, it's not just about me and how much money I can make. I'm actually helping people in, in a small way.
0: Yeah, it's it's an escape from your life into a story. And I totally agree with you. I mean, you and I have also always been interested in money and finance and investing. And this is not any kind of investment advice. We're not financial advisors, blah, blah, blah. But both of us have always thought about that side of things, right? We've never just said, right, this is cash flow money. We have also tried to put money away in investments and like property, and I know you've done more of that than me. So when we talk about retirement, I guess, like you say, we're not talking about giving it all up, but we might change the amount of time on it, or I don't know, would you even bother book marketing if you were financially independent?
1: (laughs) I'd probably do what I'm doing now, which is Mm. emailing the newsletter, maintaining the newsletter. And then throwing some money into Amazon ads. <laughs> so, that's sort of in the last couple of years about all I've done for that stuff. I might, maybe I would write less. I probably would, but I don't know what we see. I. It's not like I couldn't slow down now, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I haven't that. yet. Like I said, I always, <laughs> there's like four things waiting in the wings that I want to work on. So I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say, but I always, as somebody, and I know you don't have kids either, and then I don't have siblings or anything like that, So, and I'm not married. So I never have had a safety net, so I've always been conscious of that, and it's, that's what's made me like, okay, I want to get, you know, while the go- getting is good, get <laughs> whatever the saying is. While you can, make extra to put away for the future. It's, you know, in America, we have Social Security, but it's pretty lame. <laughs> So I, don't don't want think, I don't think on you're going to need
0: that. No, but it's no. interesting because you're exactly right. I mean, this is another thing that's missing really in the community is this sort of dead indie author estate management, which is interesting. And I've been, I was very interested that Justin Bieber, the Beeb, is one of the musicians who has sold his entire backlist. Now, he's a young man, like he's in his 30s, I guess. So he's got the rest of his life, he can literally just say, well, it's day one, and I'm going to start all over again. So he sold his IP. And and everything in the future, I guess, is is his again. So what are your thoughts on like licensing or even packaging up and selling your IP as a backlist? Or what are we going to do with dead indie authors like ourselves at some point?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it is a question mark. Like, obviously, in his case, super popular. <laughs> so there's a lot of money there. In our case, yeah, I don't know because there's so much content being put out right now. I don't know how many books that are we're producing are gonna really outlive us. You know, there's things even when you look back in the 20th century, there were so many so few books that remained in print and remained became kind of perennial things that kept that the publishers kept selling or the estates did. I'm not saying it can't happen, especially if you've got somebody that would take over, maybe even keep publishing new titles under your name, like mm-hmm. if you had a kid or something. But yeah, it's a little bit of a question mark when you don't have somebody like right now. I'm just like, somebody's going to get my passwords <laughs> and like they can do what they want. I don't want to say I don't care, but I'm maybe realistic in believing that because I see how much things drop off when I stop publishing. And I'm like, well, if I stop publishing for a year or three or four years, how much can the Amazon ads alone or whatever keep things going? And maybe there'd be some. But I don't know that it would be at such a, a level that it's worth having somebody full time managing your state. And I don't know, like if somebody came and said, hey, I want to buy your backlist, maybe I'd entertain that. I don't know that I've ever had a hit or been popular enough that that's going to happen.
0: Um, but I also think you you are a very quiet success because partly you're an introvert and you don't particularly care or you don't want fame or attention. <laughs> You'd rather just stay quiet where you are. But you're very successful. And I I feel like at some point, a bit like these music industry people have been going around buying up backlists, that's going to be the future, especially if you think about how big publishing, the Penguin Random House thing, they're not allowed to buy Simon and Schuster. And I know a lot of indie authors who have had offers for their backlists. And most of them say no, because they know how much money they can make over the next few decades if things continue as they are. But given, like, given how fast you can write, like you said, if someone gave you a good offer for a chunk of cash, then I don't know, why not?
1: (laughs) Well, maybe, but would it be a good offer? Because publishers never want to give you very much.
0: (laughs) No, but it would have to be a good offer. That's that's what I mean. I presume the Beeb got a decent offer. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would think so.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm also like, I'm not, I don't have a want a whole lot. (laughs) Like I'm just like, well, what would I do if, you know, I just I want to make sure I don't need anything in retirement and then I don't have to like step down my standard of living. Mm-hmm. So that's one point. But I'm almost there now. So yes. I'm like, what am I gonna do with whatever more they money. would offer? Ten million dollars or something. I'm like, well, I'll put buy some more dividend stocks, I guess. And you <laughs> well, know, right exciting. now I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of geek out on that stuff, but right now I'm like planning well, what charities can I leave stuff to eventually? And maybe you find a charity that they can manage your IP or have some, maybe there'll be more of an industry around this stuff going forward. Like, I feel like it's still hard to find somebody that can run your Amazon ads effectively. So yeah, I you. <laughs> you know you. It's Yeah. So, but there, things are evolving. Maybe the AI is well on
0: our states
1: and they won't wow. even charge a fee.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and I have, again, totally other topic, but I have sort of postulated a blockchain where if you set things up right on a blockchain and have smart contracts, that should just be able to go to whatever wallet you set up in the future. So it could be more automatic in the future than it is now. Whereas if you go to these agencies, they're literally manually still running all these reports and sending out money, but that's completely unrealistic for the future. But I mean, so many interesting things have happened since we've known each other and so much ahead. So just as we finish up now, thing you're particularly excited about other than dividend stocks? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is funny. This is actually why I watch your show because you're so positive and I'm a <laughs> bit of a glass half empty person. Like I feel there's a lot of anxiety collective anxiety in the world right now about everything so it's hard for me to think whoa what's what's happening that's super exciting like i i like that there's more tools so indie, especially new indie authors that don't have money for editor and cover designer they're going to be able to you go to whatever ai make me a cover and it's going to be good enough i guess i'm excited to um, I don't know, be more introverted going forward and maybe eventually back <laughs> off answering emails. And But I still like that and the fans like it. So it's hard. I think you've tried to get away from answering emails at one point too. And, you know- yeah, it
0: didn't work out really. Yeah,
1: it's hard to find to somebody, you know, the, listen, the readers get so excited. Sometimes some of them are so excited when you answer them and, you know, write a few, you know, write something that says you read their email. So it's hard to want to just voice that off on someone else. But I think there's more tools coming along and it's going to be a lot easier to just sort of focus on the thing you like and that you're really good at. And like, I already do only auto ads almost exclusively for Amazon. Mm-hmm. I, like there's people that they're in there making their 5,000 keywords. And I'm like, well, if that's working for you, great. But I honestly, did I get charged more when I try to pick keywords than if I just let the auto ads run and give it a max bid? And it's doing pretty good. But it, I obviously don't have to worry as much about the budget. And I find that if you're selling enough, you get organic sales too. So it kind of evens things out. But if you're doing $5 a day or something, you're not going to get any charts and you're not going to get any organic sales. So you have to be really careful about what you're spending. But I think I'm seeing all this stuff improving and getting easier. So you no longer have to be an a marketing major <laughs> as well as an author. And even managing the finances and everything gets easier. There's so many more tools these days for that stuff. So that's one thing I I guess I'm enjoying watching how where things are going and finding more tools to to help us. So where can people find you and your books online? Uh lindsaybroker.com I need to update that.
0: <laughs> and you and mentioned a, the six-figure authors might return again.
1: Well for like a one-off. I want to do something positive, like how to handle the recession in a happy way, like how to keep the books selling. Because I am still seeing uh, books are doing well. Mm. Maybe there's more KU reads right now than purchases, or maybe people who are wider are finding that their free stuff is doing better and, and there's a little fewer sales, but uh, those times are, don't last. So just mm. survive and then we can thrive in the future.
0: Fantastic. Well, we will look forward to that. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It was lovely to talk. Thank you and happy writing, everyone. So I hope you found the interview with Lindsay interesting and that it gave you an insight into how a career shakes out over the long term. I mean, we both still love creating. I hope you can tell that. And we both still do stuff for marketing, but the basics remain the same. More books, connecting with readers through email and a couple of other ways, and investing in multiple streams of income. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? But yeah, it was lovely to catch up with Lindsay. And hopefully there'll be more on the six-figure authors soon. So next week, I'm talking to Jeff Adams about accessibility for authors and content creators. And Jeff gives some ways we can make our websites, social media and our books more accessible to those who consume content in different ways. Definitely an interesting and important topic. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time.